home slice audio. Welcome to Doc Talk, a weekly podcast featuring Monument Health physicians addressing medical topics. Tune into your health with Monument Health. Hello again, and welcome to another edition of Doc Talk with Monument Health. My name is Mark Houston, and joining me today is Dr. Hunter Moyer, the plastic surgeon from Monument. Hello, Dr. Moyer. It's nice to meet you, man. Good morning, Mark. <laughs> Great to meet you, too. Now, uh, just really quick, give me a little background on where you're from, mm-hmm. how you ended up out here in Rapid City. Okay, so uh, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. Practiced, actually went to school, uh, practiced, and was in Atlanta, Georgia for 22 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, private practice there for five. And, you know, uh, kind of time to reevaluate life, traffic, raising <laughs> kids, all those things. And, and so I uh, got tired of the big, big city. Sure. Um, Love some parts about it, but just really tired of it. So wife and I and the family looked around all over uh, the United States, really. Uh, looked at 14 different large towns, small cities, and uh, Rapid City had everything we wanted. It looked you know. like, well, it looked like you enjoy some of that outdoor stuff too, Absolutely. don't you? That's, a, that's yeah. a big part of the decision to come yeah, out here. I had been here as a child with my father fly fishing several times. Oh, really? And so I kind of knew Rapid City from that and then came back out here and, of course, love fly fishing, love the hills. Um, and other opportunities out here you can't do other places. Uh, just got my pilot's license, learning how to fly out here. Man. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a great spot to be. Uh, you know, you mentioned that you were getting tired of the traffic, but did you realize the construction that happens just year-round out here, right? Pretty much, yeah. There's that construction season in the summertime. Yeah, and, and exactly. Fall, but, uh, so you must be a winter close. guy, too, then. I mean, you must enjoy the winters uh, oh, yeah. to a degree coming yeah, from Florida and, and Georgia. That's And we know this isn't a terrible winter on this side of the state, but uh, we get enough snow to ski, and, and we're near the mountains. So. Sure. Mm-hmm. So what led you to, to, to the practice that you do, Dr. Moyer? It's, 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 an, it's an interesting... It's an interesting field, I think. It's a great field. So I was an engineer uh, and practiced in a large coal-burning power plant. Didn't practice, but worked (laughs) in a large uh, burning coal power plant. Loved the engineering part of it. Loved the problem solving. uh, Really loved the math and also just kind of handling uh, tough situations. And so I was in power delivery and heat design, which sounds terrible, but uh, it was okay. But realized that I didn't really, there was not much people interaction. Uh, You know, results were great if you uh, decrease or increase heat dissipation, but didn't really have any of that personal touch to it. So decided to go into medicine just as an afterthought. Um, And so when I got to medical school, surgery was clearly what I wanted, what I wanted to do, um, because it's definitely engineering. Looking at different types of surgery, general surgery, vascular surgery, all of them, uh, plastic surgery really is the one uh, for me is truly every patient is different. Every problem is different. Every solution is tailored to that patient. So really every case is engineering and surgery together. And then you add that with patient results and happy patients. It's it, couldn't be better. That is such a, an interesting connection between engineering mm-hmm. and plastic surgery, because you're right. Yeah. It, it does break down to all of those things you just listed. And uh, I, I think, uh, you know, having people maybe maybe see it that way might, might take some of the because I think people that come into you, uh, you know, they're in one of two categories, right? You're in you're in reconstructive or right. or you're in uh uh, 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 what's, what's the other one I'm looking for? The, so it's either aesthetic or cosmetic. Aesthetic, there we go, yes. And then there's reconstructive. And, and they're both, you know, the nice thing, too, about plastic surgeries is we're talking about engineering, but then you get to add the art 
form to it, which obviously you don't get as an engineer in a coal burning power plant. Sure. <laughs> so it's really a great mix of uh, art and uh, medicine or art and engineering. And so for the cosmetic patients, you would think that, you know, artistry really comes out. But honestly, in our reconstructive cases, breast cancer patients, severe facial drama, it, it comes out there too. Well, do you prefer one over, uh, over the other? I, I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think I'd want to be one or just the other. Sure. Uh, I enjoy the uh, different complexity and, and different uh, patient expectations of both. Love to see uh, a young man walk into our office six months after almost losing his leg and he's walking and love to see what we're going to talk about today, a facelift patient who three months out is just ecstatic. So either, yeah, I like both. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, who is a good candidate for a facelift? Um, is it just people that that, that are looking for a, a change generally? or It is. You know, and, and most candidates self-select mm-hmm. to me. Um, okay. As we know nowadays, uh, non-surgical, Botox, filler, um, you know, resurfacing, chemical peels, lasers are great. They really are. And uh, a lot of patients will have done that for several, several years. And then after a time, either fillers aren't enough or they realize that uh, they're looking for something that's not temporary. They're looking for that permanent change, which surgery can offer. And so a lot self-select themselves through that process of going through uh, non-surgical interventions. And then other patients, uh, one we saw this morning in clinic, uh, just sits there in the mirror every day and kind of pulls her skin up like a lot of people do. And finally, after 10 years, was fed up with that. And so she came in. So. You know, there's no real bad patient for a facelift. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done patients as young as about 48, which is a little on the young side. Um, but oh, she, really? Mm-hmm. But she has had uh, some medical issues that had caused some sagging skin and fat atrophy, we call it, or loss of volume mm-hmm. in her face, uh, up to 85. So it's really, you know, we, we talk about age, but it's really how you feel, uh, your physiologic age, right? Sure. Uh, some people at 85 are healthier than some at 60, and so... There's no age limit to it. Uh, Some things that we look for as plastic surgeons is if you start to develop some of the wrinkles in front of your ear. So this is the little tragus part of your ear. If you start to see some wrinkles there, that tells you that you have excess skin. Uh, And then most people come in for what's called the jowling, right, where it's the extra volume kind of right over your jawline. And some of the downturn lips, those are things we look for. It doesn't mean that you have to have those to have a facelift, but those are the early signs. When you when you when you're meeting people for the first time, do you do you do kind of a quick evaluation too? Do you kind of look them over? I mean, I suppose yes, how can you true. not, right? In the, in the airport, in the mall, yeah, right. of course. Yeah. Uh, so when people come into you and they've made the decision to to fix some of these things you mm-hmm. just mentioned, then 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 what happens during the surgery? What is how how long does a general one usually take? Well, and that's a that's a. Good and tough question to answer. Mm-hmm. You know, when they come in to see me, we do a full facial analysis. And so we're looking at, they may have three complaints, but we do break down the entire face and do a full facial analysis, look at proportions, look at vectors and everything. And so kind of like we were talking about with engineering, every facelift is a little different. The same four or five components are going to be part of it. But sometimes we, in addition, add fat to certain areas or take away fat from certain areas or lift the lip and make it a little bit smaller mm-hmm. or plump the lip out or, or we add neck lifts to it a lot of times. So, you know, a short scar mini facelift can be as short as two and a half hours. And then the facelift that we'll do on Thursday will be five hours. And we're going to do quite a bit. We'll do a face and neck lift. We'll lift the lip. We'll add fat to the cheeks and take away fat from this little area right around the mouth. So every patient is unique. Boy, so you can have people come in that it can be almost an all-day deal. Yeah, about five hours is the maximum. But yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's and there that just seems like they're having everything done. It's just like, you know what? I mm-hmm. looked at this this morning. Let's mm-hmm. 
take it. <laughs> yes, and and you know when we do the the worst the, the worst plastic surgery is obvious plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. That's one. Number two, bad plastic surgery isn't harmonious would be the term to use. So so if you really need a neck lift with your facelift, I don't tell patients they have to do anything, but I will strongly recommend because if you have a face that looks 15 years younger and your neck doesn't show that, it's pretty obvious something was done. So, sure. So I don't make decisions for patients, but a lot of times after that analysis and we go through it, some only need that two and a half hour surgery and some need the five and well and that's uh we were we i was talking a little bit before you got here um do are there ever instances and i and i don't know you know you you i suppose you lay it out the best that you can Mm -hmm. right um but have you ever talked to a patient and said look I just I don't think you're making the right decision is that is that how has a doctor do you approach that Oh, it's, you know, you, so I, I made a statement. I, I don't tell patients what to have done. Right. I try and let them choose it. But, you know, as a physician and, and mm-hmm. for the patient's best interest, and to be quite honest, I mean, I, I don't want to do bad plastic surgery. I, I will say that I just can't give you the result you want unless we do some of these things. Oh, that's so, a good answer. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and there's certainly other good surgeons around that uh, that can address them. And, and I always encourage uh, a second consult or, you know, second opinion. So mm-hmm. most of the time, uh, patients that have second opinions come back and say, yeah, you know, right on par. And, and so, yes, you just have to tell them that I can't offer you what you might want sure. out of this. Mm-hmm. So what, is, uh, what does a recovery look like then once it's all done? Yeah. So, uh, you know, after short or, you know, major surgery like that, we're going to put you in a giant head wrap. It's going to look ridiculous, <laughs> right? It's going to go around your hair. It's the one thing they, they, they all wanted to look pretty right away yeah. and then what they have yeah. to heal in. It's is. <laughs> like out of a bad movie or an ER series, right? So face is exposed. Uh, but for that first week, you know, it's funny. I practiced in Atlanta for five years before I came here and I think facelift and most cosmetic surgery there is a little more accepted. So mm-hmm. I had patients go into the grocery store with their, their whole head wraps on, Thank but goodness. not here. Right? <laughs> so that first week, patients are just at home recovering. We ask them to drink lots of water, low-salt diet. Uh, I love pineapple and bromelain for swelling and for oh, bruising. Wow. And so we have a few things that we have them do, but otherwise they don't really touch the dressings. Uh, amazing. I'm always surprised. Minimal pain with this, um, which does surprise me. That would have been my next question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, minimal pain. And then they come back in a week. We'll take that giant head wrap off. We'll take some of the stitches out, most of them, and then we'll put them in a Velcro-style head wrap. So very similar to what they were wearing, but now it's Velcro. Mm-hmm. So they can take it off if they need to. I want them to wear it as much as possible, but they can take it off, go to the store if they need to, come home. Oh, wow. You're still swollen, still a little bruised at that point. Uh, makeup will help cover it. And then, so yeah, they wear that Velcro head wrap all the time, as much as possible, until week two. They come back, and we'll take the rest of the stitches out at that point. Most of the bruising, you know how bruising goes, it goes from purple, red, mm-hmm. green, yellow, gone. So most of the bruising is yellow at that time, and uh, makeup covers it well. So patients are out and about doing things at two weeks, two weeks after. I do ask them to wear the Velcro head wrap at night for the next two weeks, and then by four weeks, they're, most of the swelling's gone, all the bruising's gone, they look appropriate. And so really by four weeks, they're doing, you know, we get them back in the gym if they want to, those kind of things. Now, is this kind of why a lot of people <clears throat> will do these, uh, kind of elect to do this stuff in the wintertime? Pretty much. It seems like that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a big time of year for this. It really is. So and in really fall, so mm-hmm. here, mid-fall, going through about March is kind of the big season okay. for it. And, and we're going to do a facelift in two days, so it's not like it's always that way, but that's makes sense to me. People sure. are at home already. Scarves look great in the wintertime, <laughs> right? Those kind of well, you got the head coverings, uh, all the wraps yeah, anyway. So. I've also read that uh, um, 
like things like aspirin and things like that should kind of be avoided with this? Is that, st- that still a thing? Or? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you know, we ask for, of course, we don't want patients on blood thinners. Mm-hmm. Aspirin being one of them, even though it's kind of low-grade blood thinner. Uh, we also ask them to stop drinking wine a week or two <laughs> oh, beforehand. Man. Yeah, it's kind of tough. But, uh, you know, the, the things that can go wrong with facelift surgery, there aren't many. Really, infection is really not common at all. I've, just, I've never seen it. Sure. Uh, one thing we don't want, and you will bruise. You know, we talked about patients will bruise. And bruising is, doesn't bother me, but collecting blood called a hematoma is the one thing we don't want. So, yes, you're right. No aspirin, uh, no wine, no blood thinners beforehand. Now, how long after this is done... How long you're still going to age mm-hmm. even after you have your facelift? Of course. So how how long does how long does it last? How how long will it look like they want it to? Uh, and, that, and that's the question that we we get all the time. And so uh, what what I say qu- patients ask me is this permanent? I say yes, and then they ask me is it permanent? And I say no. And what I mean by that is is we do expect to set you back fifteen years. We don't want to make you look too young because then it's bad plastic surgery, like mm-hmm. you've been in a wind tunnel. But we want to set you back fifteen years. But you will age on top of that. So in theory, you will always be 15 years younger than what you would have looked like. But as we know, if you just stayed that same age look, that wouldn't look right either. So it's we set you back 15 years and you age on top of that. So it's permanent yes and it's permanent no. Do you see, uh, you know, technology changes so fast mm-hmm. and, and in the medical field, too, obviously. It, it just goes, do you, is, is there any super exciting things you see coming out now that are going to make what you do either easier or better? better? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, the first facelift in in Western medicine was performed in Germany in 1916 by a sculptor who also was kind of a barber surgeon. And honestly, uh, the writings of it and some of the the description of it, they did a great job. And for the next 60 years, not much changed with Mm -hmm. that facelift. Um, But over the last 20 to 30 years, a lot of things have changed. What we've so to kind of start from the beginning, let's say 20 years ago, and since I've been in practice, you know, I don't know if you remember um, back in the 80s and 90s, there was that big lifestyle lift where you went to the, you know, lunchtime and you went to the yes, mall. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And so that was a skin only excision. So you're just removing skin kind of in front of the ear and around oh. the ear. You're pulling skin and you're closing. And we know skin ages pretty mm-hmm. quick and it doesn't have as much strength as we'd like. And so that was a fad that lasted about two years because the results lasted about six months. <laughs> and so we know as surgeons that you have to suspend the deeper, stronger structures of the face. And so in medicine, we call that the SMAS. It's got a long name for it, but sure. that's the, the healthy, thick tissue. And so we've been doing smassectomies and smassplication, which just means using that strong layer for a while now. Some of the new advances are we're starting to do, and I'm starting to do a, what's called a deep plane lift, where you dissect even further under the smass to release more ligaments, and you get even longer-term results. That's a great thing because uh, you know patients love longer-term results, and we just talked about how is it permanent or not. But as you age, your elastin goes down. So if you can get a better result in the beginning, you're going to get a better result later. That's a big deal. Fat grafting is another thing that's really added to our armamentariums. You know, when you think about it, when we're young, we have upside-down triangle faces. Mm-hmm. Our fat and our volume is higher up, and our chins are well-defined, and so we really have that heart-shaped face. As we age, that fat heads south, and we get kind of a square face. And so we love to lift structures and remove skin and tighten you up, but we also need to return volume, especially to the cheeks, because it atrophies over time. So we do a lot of fat grafting. I'll take some fat from right in the neck or just in the anterior abdomen right there at the belly button, and we'll add that back to the cheeks, and that really gives great results. So that's a relatively new thing. It's been around for a good five to ten years. And then the biggest change I've seen uh, are in my neck lifts. 
So it's kind of hard to describe. Uh, it's even kind of hard to draw. But in neck lifts, American surgeons have been trained to kind of put a muscle back together in the midline underneath the skin, where it was when we were kids, and then to pull laterally behind the ear. And that works fine for about two, three years. Uh, but in Atlanta, I started seeing patients five, six years later and talking to some of my mentors. And they generally got a return of that fullness in the center neck and just didn't like that. So Thankfully, uh, I was in New York at a symposium and saw a panel of Italian surgeons doing a neck lift completely different. It's awesome. And so uh, I talked with them, actually studied with them, and then also went to Sweden uh, for a, a week uh, with a surgeon, Rehnquist, who's been doing that for a while. And ever since, that's about six years ago. Uh, so in the last five years, I've changed the way I do neck lifts and couldn't be happier. Oh, Results wow. are fantastic. So there's, you know, the nice thing is it's not just the uh, U.S. community that's coming up with new ways to do things. Uh, this Italian neck lift is fantastic. So those have changed in my practice, um, and they'll continue to change. I'm going to do a anatomy lab in, in St. Louis in a couple months just to go over some of the deeper plane structures of the face. That's the great thing about engineering, too, but plastic surgery and in medicine in general, it's a lifelong pursuit, right? Things are always advancing, and so bringing that uh, to the practice in Rapid City is kind of really fun. So I suppose the big question, though, are we ever going to get to uh, where face-off is a real thing? Will, will we ever yeah. be able to just sw- swap the faces? No. <laughs> kind of terrifying. I mean, <laughs> a little know, bit. <laughs> you've seen, um, you know, you've probably seen that there are face transplants. Yes, I'm fascinated by those. And it is, you know, and I, when I was at Emory training back in Atlanta, we did a full hand transplant, not a face. But the similar concepts apply, right? And, and the key that we're seeing, so face transplant right now clearly is just for civilian severe, terrible. Absolutely. You know, one was, I think, a gorilla injury. And yeah. One was I saw a human I, bite, a terrible video you probably saw to Miami. Oh, a woman who shot herself, too. Another one. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. Unbelievable. So it's, but when you do that surgery, the key to that surgery is obviously completing the surgery. But the real key is the immunosuppression regimen afterwards. Mm. And so patients are on... Back when I was training, it was $30,000 a month of immunosuppression regimen, and it doesn't last forever. So it's uh, – do I think we'll get there? I mean, we're trying to. We're trying to advance this for severe reconstructive mm-hmm. injuries. Um, but I don't know. More, uh, you know, the kind of Time magazine growing organs on a back of a mouse kind of thing. That right. was big. That's uh, – you know, I, I spent a year in a stem cell lab while I was training down in Atlanta. And that development – and we're not there yet. We haven't figured it out, but growing organs, tissues on animals or in the lab would probably trump any kind of face transplant that requires immunosuppression. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's still exciting, though, for oh, you. It awesome. has to be. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Dr. Moyer, this, uh, I've loved this conversation. This has been very informative, uh, and it's, 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 it's funny talking to guys like you and you know when you're pointing out the different things you automatically start to go okay i wonder is it mm, uh-huh. starting to feel the skin <laughs> where it goes what's happening uh but yeah it uh it's you know it's 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 right for the right person i suppose and uh uh you sound like uh, you you really walk these people exactly through what they should do so, well you know our, our job is is to deliver great results mm-hmm. safely and then our second job is to make sure patients understand what they're getting into and what their results will be. And they need to be comfortable with everything we come up with. And they need to be comfortable with me. The last person they see before they go to sleep right. is myself and the anesthesiologist. <laughs> and if they're nervous, that's not good. So we are very careful to make sure that they're well-informed. Excellent. Dr. Hunter Moyer, plastic surgeon from Monument Health, thank you very much for talking with me. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. 
Doc Talk with Monument Health is recorded live at Homeslice Studios, hosted by Mark Houston, edited by Russ Hatton, engineered by Chris Jaquis, and produced by Kelsey Kinney and Rob Henry.